morning, Africa. Welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I'm Douglas Simpuga in Washington. Today is Tuesday, August 2nd. And here are some of the stories we are covering. Kenyans go to elections in less than a week on August 9th. Malawi civil society groups call for yet another protest. Two, they claim force President Lazarus Chakwera to resign or call for a referendum. The planning and the preparation for 2nd August 2022 demonstrations are at peak. We have met all the stakeholders and we have agreed to conduct the democracy on 2nd August 2022. And in Uganda, the Opposition Forum for Democratic Change, or FDC, plans to legally challenge the outcome of the recent Soroti East parliamentary by-elections. Those stories and more coming up on Daybreak Africa. Such groups have called for yet another protest this Tuesday, August 2nd, to, according to them, force President Lazarus Chakwera to resign or call for a referendum. This comes as President Chakwera has asked Malawian police to investigate the alleged abduction of another protest leader, Sylvester Namiwa, of the Center for Democracy and Economic Development. Local media reported over the weekend that Namiwa might have abducted himself. Stephen Chamwaza is a member of the Human Rights Ambassadors of Malawi. He tells VOA's James Barty that Tuesday's protest will highlight the suffering of Malawians. Chamwaza also says his group and that of Namiwa are apolitical and only speaking for the voiceless. The planning and preparation for 2nd August 2022 demonstrations are at peak. We have met all the stakeholders and we have agreed to conduct the democracy on 2nd August 2022. What will be the purpose of your demonstration this time around? Malawian has been singing the very same song. Malawi are starving. Now Malawian are asking for resignation of the President of the Republic of Malawi and his vice. We are tortured psychologically, economically, and socially. These people are failing to provide all essential services to the ordinary citizens. So the 2nd August 2022 demos are the calling for President Lazarus Chakwera of the Republic of Malawi to step down or to call for referendum. So did you get any police permission for this uh, protest? In the Malawian nation, we don't have to acquire permission. Our constitution tells us to inform, just to notice. So we notice the police that we are conducting these demos on 2nd August. Does your organization have a connection with Sylvester Namiwa and his uh, Center for Democracy and Economic Development? Yes, but I want to highlight there in a corrective way. Because it's not Namiwa as per se, but Namiwa is part and parcel. Myself, I am part and parcel, and some other activists. We have joined hands to speak for the voiceless Malawians. I understand that uh, Namiwa claimed to have been abducted, but now there are reports that he may have faked his own abduction. What do you know about that? It is quite laughable, and this is very, very, very unfortunate for the people of the Republic of Malawi, more especially those in public offices that can come up with those allegations. 
I can explain to you and I can tell you the truth about Namiwa. If Namiwa was self-adapted, he was in self-exile, why these thugs were moving along the Lilongwe streets with dangerous tools uh, and weapons? This is very uncalled to call Namiwa that he was abducting himself. What I know and what Malawian know is, after the press briefing that was conducted in Lilongwe by Namiwa to inform Malawian for preparation of the following day, which was the 28th, that was ready for demonstration, certain two gentlemen with a civilian car without a number plate abducted Namiwa to a known place. So I don't know if these two people was Namiwa himself. The ruling party has accused some of you, or particularly the opposition Democratic Progressive Party, the DPP, of engineering some of these demonstrations, and particularly the alleged abduction of uh, Mr. Namiwa, just so as to make political points against President Chakwera. We, as the human rights activists, we don't belong to any political party. But we speak for the ordinary Malawian, those people that have no voice. Stephen Chamwaza is a member of the Human Rights Ambassadors of Malawi. He was speaking from Lilongwe with VOA's James Barty. Kijans go to elections in less than a week on August 9th. The presidential candidates are all out campaigning across the East African nation. Abu Shakul Abod of VOA's Swahili service just arrived in Nairobi to cover the elections. And earlier, I reached him there to check out the mode of the electorate. Well, uh, talking to people around on the streets is that uh, the mood is that people are not even uh, interested in the voting. They are not interested in the elections. Uh, it looks like there is a total empathy of the voting which is taking place on the 9th of August. People are saying they don't have the best candidates and uh, they're saying the economic situation is so bad and they don't believe the two candidates can solve their problems. So the situation in town is like you don't feel there's a general election coming Soon, I've been to the elections in Kenya in 2008, and the mood is totally different. People are very calm. Nobody is interested in going to the meetings, and it looks like uh, we are not sure if people are going to come to the meet to the elections on the 8th of on the 9th of August. Uh, previously, presidential candidates in Kenya have, have had have been very active during the campaign season. Are the two main candidates doing enough to lure people to the elections? Oh, yes, they're doing a lot. They're using helicopters going from one town to another. It's become one of the most expensive elections, according to analysts and according to polls. They're using a lot of money. There is even reports of that. At many towns, the candidates... Uh, team or campaign team are giving money to the people. There were pictures of people standing in line collecting money, about 100 shillings, and they're saying this is not enough for us. So I was driving in a taxi, and one taxi man said, we're not going to vote for any of the two candidates. We're just going to use a spoiler vote. That was very interesting. And uh, they're going to use any other of the two other unknown candidates. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Uh, given that uh, the current, the incumbent president is not running for re-election, re does that factor in in the people's not being interested in this election? 
I don't think so that's the case. I think people were ready for a change. People are ready to see that there's a new political system, a new political power in the country, but they didn't expect the way it's happening right now. Uh, Kenyatta is trying much, and it looks like he's uh, also campaigning a lot for Raila. But uh, in reality, I don't think so. People care much if... Uh, Kenyatta is in or out. They believe that democracy is taking place, there's a change, but they don't believe the parties or the alliances which have been created will be any better than what was before. There used to be tension before elections and people got scared, maybe thinking there would be violence. Given what you're saying, it seems this may pass as a peaceful, uh, low turnout election. Oh, yeah, it's going to be like a low turnout election. But at the same time, there are a lot of movements which are calling for peace. There's a lot of movements which I've come across, and we're going to talk with them during our few days, that uh, there is a movement of trying and make sure that it's going to be a peaceful election. And I think there won't be a lot of uh, problems because the two candidates are not that so much wanted, as we say. But uh, so it's uh, the the... The dynamics for really creating uh, chaos or anything is very low, I think, at this time, according to analysts. My colleague Abdshakula Bold of VOA's Swahili Service, he spoke with me by phone from Nairobi. In Uganda, the Opposition Forum for Democratic Change, or FDC, plans to legally challenge the outcome of the recent Soroti East parliamentary by-election. Citing voter irregularities, intimidation and rigging, the party rejects the outcome of the poll, saying it's not credible. This after the arrest of leaders and supporters of the FDC, including its chairman, Patrick Oboy Amriot, and Doreen Nyanjura, deputy Lord Mayor of Kampala. They are accused of voter bribery before and during the by-election. They deny the accusation, saying it appears the authorities used state institutions, including the police and the judiciary, to intimidate opponents during the poll. For reaction to the Soroti East by-election, VOA's Peter Klote reached Nandala Mafabi, General Secretary of the Uganda Opposition, FDC. The police, uh, the security agencies, the RDC came and raided our secretariat, which was in a hotel called the Melissa Hotel in Soroti, the hotel in Soroti. Now, they took all our computers, against letters, or materials for election and register. From there, they arrested even the party presidents, some MPs, and the mayor of the city, and they took them to the column. They destroyed our cars. Now, what the purpose was to, because they had already predicted by the papers, before starting, I'm not sure that the electoral commission is a very funny electoral commission. How do these people get ballot papers for staffing? So the election which has taken place in Soroti for member parliament was not free and not fair. Are you saying that the FDC will not accept the results of this by-election? No, we're not going to accept. It's very clear. We're not going to accept the results. And we're contemplating taking this action to court. Because even the public, the polling stations, the voters don't know, like the, the six polling stations in the Alloyd. They had tear gas. People ran out with the declaration forms and the material, the electoral commission, and the voters don't know how what were the results. You can imagine, even the voters themselves don't know the results. Even matters hard. When do you plan on going to court to challenge the outcome of the by-election? 
We have we, uh, within 30 days, uh, we have the time. And we are waiting for collect evidence as soon as the evidence starts from today. Yesterday. And from there is when we shall prepare the good part. I can tell you, of course, unless the courts are not fair, but if the courts are giving me this, uh, uh, this case where we have to win. What do you say to people who are saying this will be a waste of time since the judiciary might not necessarily be fair? But supporters of the NRM are saying this is yet another accusation being leveled against the party when you know that you are going to lose the election. You just create uh, an impression of uh, you being victimized. If, if you are, you are being here in this election, they arrested all of us. They never arrested the NRM. They were moving freely with the police guiding them. The bird stacking was being done with the police in them. And I can tell you, the case are idiots, and the police and the electoral commission did nothing. So the NRM will be able to say that they, this, they, they are, were being victimized, but they are, if in their minds they know that what they have done is This has not been an election. So to, this ranking is beyond. It's not an election. And I can tell you, if we're going to continue like this in this country, I'll also agree that an election can never be taken seven out. Maybe people will have sick other means so that they see the game changer. It is very clear in NRM. Just a rigging machine, and this is one of the worst things where they claim democracy, but there's no democracy. Nandala Mafabi is General Secretary of the Uganda Opposition FDC. He spoke with VOA's Peter Klote from Kampala. You're listening to Daybreak Africa on The Voice of America. I'm Douglas Impuga in Washington. Today is Tuesday, August 2nd. U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken recently released a report on human trafficking, which is aimed at affecting change and encouraging governments to beef up the anti-trafficking efforts. The report paints a mixed picture of success. Blinken says 25 million people around the world are still some form of forced labor. Have traffickers come up with new ways to dupe people and force them into slavery? VOA's Carol Van Damme put that question to Terry Fitzpatrick, director of the Alliance to End Slavery and Trafficking, a coalition of U.S. organizations that combat forced labor and sex trafficking in more than 100 countries. They have. Unfortunately, governments haven't come up with new ways to stop them. I think the most important two words that Secretary of State Anthony Blinken used in introducing the report to the public was a mixed picture of success. So what the report does is rank countries around the world by tiers. Tier one is the best. Those countries are found to be doing the, what's necessary, meeting the minimum conditions necessary to effectively combat traffickers through prosecutions, through prevention programs, and through protection of survivors. Only 30 countries and only one country in Africa met that list, and that was Namibia. The reality is the rest of the world, the vast majority of the world, do not meet those minimum conditions, and 22 countries aren't even trying. Let's stay on Africa for a minute. You mentioned Namibia is the one country that seems to be cooperating. Paint a picture of some of the other countries in Africa and where they stand on the human trafficking and the forced labor, which are both part of this problem. Sure. If you look at a, a map of Africa in the tip report, it color codes the different countries, and green is the color code in favor of being on tier one. You're, you're hitting on all cylinders and doing what's necessary. 
Africa's a sea of orange and red and yellow for the other tiers, showing that those countries aren't effectively prosecuting, aren't effectively protecting people from traffickers, aren't effectively protecting those who are in trouble or targeted by traffickers or are on the way out on the backside are survivors who have escaped or been rescued. So it's a bit of a disappointing picture in that when we think about modern slavery, we immediately, the word slavery sends our mind back to 150 years ago, 200 years ago, where people were kidnapped from Africa and brought to Europe or to Asia or to the Americas. Well, unfortunately today in modern forms of slavery, it's happening right inside Africa, in mines, on fishing boats, at farms, inside brothels. And so we see children and women and adults who are kept in place through forced fraud and coercion. Even here in the United States, we're not immune to that. We are found guilty, people in our country, of bringing in these domestic workers that are illegal, right? Yes, inside the United States, there's a system of guest worker visas, which are known as the H-2A and H-2B program. And then something also called the J-1 visa program for um, people who are camp counselors or au pairs or other kind of summer or seasonal work. These are people coming into the United States on legitimate visas. And often they find themselves at, in domestic work um, as maids or nannies or au pairs or working as gardeners or other kind of seasonal help and they find themselves stuck to an employer and they cannot leave. Which are, would you say, are the people that are most often targeted around the world? In some countries, a prevalent form of forced labor might be domestic servitude, say people migrating to South Africa and end up working as maids or as gardeners. In other places, it's cocoa plantations or rubber plantations in West Africa. That was Terry Fitzpatrick, director of the Alliance to End Slavery and Trafficking in the U.S. He was speaking with my colleague, Caravan Dam. A new survey of more than 4,500 young people in Africa, aged between 18 and 24 years, has found that 52% of them are likely to consider immigrating in the next few years. They cite economic hardship and education opportunities as the top reasons. The study also found that Nigerian youth have the most negative opinion about the direction in which their country is headed, with 95% saying things are going badly. The statistics come from the latest African Youth Survey carried out in 15 countries by the South African Ichikawa's Family Foundation. From Lagos, Samuel Okocha reports on the issues of concern to Nigerians. In almost all countries covered in the Africa Youth Survey, at least two-thirds of young people surveyed believe their nations are going in the wrong direction. In contrast, the study shows that 60% of youth in Rwanda and 56% in Ghana are optimistic about their country's direction. But out of the African youth surveyed, Nigerians are the most likely to consider emigrating because of their poor view of the country's direction. Indeed, while 52% of youth surveyed across African countries are likely to consider emigrating in three years, in Nigeria, the figure is highest, with 73% considering leaving. As it stands now, Nigeria is not looking hopeful. Like, there is really no hope here. Like, it's not looking bright. That's George Amara, a student at University of Nigeria, Nsuka. 
Currently, in Nigeria, university teachers have stayed away from classrooms since February to price home demands for welfare and better funding for universities. With universities closed for six months running and an unreliable academic calendar, Amara Josh is one of many young Nigerians hoping for a fresh start abroad. It's not looking like anything is going to change soon. So yes, if I have the opportunity to leave the country, I will take it and leave the country for greener pastures, for a better life, for a fresh start. Amara is not alone. Among those who are considering emigrating, youth cite economic reasons such as pursuing job opportunities and educational opportunities such as going to university. And indeed, the lack of well-paying jobs remains a top concern among respondents. In Nigeria, an increasing number of young and tech-savvy Nigerians like Ibukun, a development and operations engineer, are taking advantage of the global demand for tech talent to emigrate. I recently just got a job uh, outside Nigeria and the um, visa sponsorship has been offered for the job. So uh, definitely it's better than offers in Nigeria and something I would like to explore, right? Because aside the remuneration rate and everything, it's also a good opportunity to like grow your career, um, working with foreign companies and all of that, more recognized companies globally, right? While many young Nigerians see better economic opportunities as reasons to emigrate, young people like Ibukun also want to enjoy the mobility that comes with working and living outside Nigeria. And also just the experience, the, the life outside Nigeria, right? I mean, um, people in Europe kind of tend to travel a lot or live better lives. So, I mean, you don't want to be stuck in Nigeria for a long time without like trying to afford flights or trying to i mean it's easier to just move around especially if you want to travel more and stuff like that outside of africa europe is the most appealing region for african youth followed by north america according to the africa youth survey in nigeria while many youths remain pessimistic at home as they struggle with spiraling inflation unemployment and insecurity Citizens like Daniel Owadilike, who makes a living as an Uber driver, believes there is hope. I believe if we should have good leaders, the, the country, there is hope for, for the, the country. We have the resources, but we will have bad managers. So I think there is hope if we can bring in good leaders who knows how to manage the resources. There is hope for Nigeria. Nigerians should wake up and uh, bring in good leaders, people that have the interests of the nation at heart, not people who come to suck and milk the nation. Next year, Nigerians will go to the polls to elect a new president, along with new state governors. With a significant population of young people registered to vote, the election will serve as an opportunity for the youth to have their say in the future of the country. This is Samuel Okocha for VOA News in Lagos. And that's it for this Tuesday, August 2nd edition of Daybreak Africa. We thank you for joining us this morning. For more African news and features, visit our website at voafrica.com. Connect with us on all social media platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We are also on YouTube, where you can watch our TV shows 
Africa 54, Straight Talk Africa, and Red Carpet. On behalf of the entire Daybreak crew, I'm Douglas Simpoga in Washington, wishing you a very wonderful day. Go beyond the daily headlines with VOA's Flashpoint Ukraine. Each weekday, join us as we put the latest developments into a global context with stories, interviews, and analysis. Listen online at voanews.com slash flashpoint or in your favorite podcast player. Sports fans, brighten your day by tuning into the sunny side of sports Monday through Friday at 1630 and 1830 UTC. Join us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash VOA Sunny and on Twitter at VOA Sunny Sports. Or check out the blog at blogs.voanews.com forward slash sunny. It's the sunny side of sports right here on the Voice of America. (laughs) 